Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizzo on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And happy Monday. Hopefully you had a lovely weekend. Hopefully you got to watch some fun Sunday night TV. I can't think of what would possibly have been on except for, you know, fair number Everything. of good shows. What? Everything is on. Mm. Like, it doesn't even feel like it used to be, like, Sundays in April or whatever, or May when it was Leftovers, Twin Peaks, uh... There was more. Like, yeah. there was Veep. I mean, there was just so much. It felt like a Sunday night was just at least three hours of content all the time. And there's there's so much now. You've got Star Trek Discovery. Yep. You've got Outlander. Yep. You've got Girlfriend Experience. Yep. You've well, got... Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Is that it? Is there another one? There's probably more. I mean, there's always more. There's always more. Yeah. It's it's just Sundays, Curb, man. Curb oh, yeah. Curb, of course. Yep. Yeah. Not that people are really watching that one this time. I don't know. Seems. I think people are watching it. I yeah. mean, oh, let's not get distracted by talking about Curve though, because you mentioned one show, Outlander. Uh, Outlander's pretty good. Star Trek. That one I'm working on. I'm, I'm enjoying Star Trek. Leftovers? No, Leftovers isn't here. Oh, well, it, it's always here. It's literally right. It's over there. Ben is pointing at the wall of our office where we have not one, not two, but three Leftovers posters, and then he is also correctly putting a dove in his new leftovers douchebag jar. Maybe you can hear it. It's not a douchebag jar, Liz. <laughs> it's the leftovers it's jar. It's just the leftovers jar. But conceptually, it is based on Smith's jar from, from, uh, from you know, a uh, new girl. Correct. Now, hold, right. hold on one second. Let's see if we can hear it. There you go. Thank you for doing that unprompted. He was going to have to do it later if he didn't. Um... Yes, Ben has a jar now where every time he mentions the leftovers, he has to put a dove in it. It's not every time. It's just in very specific scenarios, including the podcast, because the podcast is where I, I talk about it. Yes. Perhaps more than is necessary. Yes. Uh, each dove represents $1. That do- Eventually, these, do- these dollars will be donated to some sort of charitable cause of Ben's choosing. Correct. Which I believe is meant to be a buying one lucky person a subscription to HBO now so they can watch the leftovers. An unfortunate... Youth, a youth, yes, but of appropriate age, who has expressed a desire and thus will receive a donation from the Ben Travers Charitable Fund. Yes, TBD. The name will be determined later. Yes. Uh, <laughs> send send in your name ideas now. Yes. Um. So- and you know, if you've got a submission, shoot it out. Yep. Um, anyways, so one of the shows that we mentioned just now was the Girlfriend Experience, and that kind of is pushing us to our current topic of conversation because the girlfriend experience as we've talked about a little bit already on this podcast i believe uh is doing something really different for its second season yes and i have completely failed in a in a every attempt i've made to explain this succinctly so i'm going to try again i'm going to see if i can do this properly go no i already failed so there's season two season two it's different from season one. Yes. We already knew there was going to be a whole new character arc. Season one was its own thing. Yeah. But in season two, there's actually two stories, two completely separate stories mm-hmm. being told back to back each Sunday for an hour of television, even though they're half hour episodes. Yes. So every night you get two two installments of two different stories, one directed by Lodge Kerrigan, one directed by Amy Simons. The two creators of the show. And... Each of them are completely standalone. 
Correct. And each of them are about different characters. Different settings, different stories, and they're not connected to each other at all. Yes. We've seen the whole thing. Uh, they gave the, the full season 14 episodes uh, to critics, which is another thing worth noting. Like, the original was 13 episodes, but then because... They, they wanted to split it evenly. Yeah. There's seven episodes dedicated to each story, so it totaled up 14. But anyway, we've seen the whole thing. They're not connected at all. It's not like they eventually come together or whatever. They're it's just not like thematically. The and, yeah, it's not. Jesus. <laughs> what a, sh- breaking news. The girlfriend experience uh, based on the, <laughs> the Steven Soderbergh film of the same name is unlike Netflix behemoth superhero series The Defenders. That show was terrible. I liked it. I can't. We can't get into that right now. <laughs> Point is, is that we want it. Girlfriend experience is really interesting on a number of levels. For one thing, um, I maybe am doing it wrong because I'm still working my way through the screeners. But right now, the way I ended up watching was I watched two episodes of Amy Simons' story for a piece I was working on back in September. So I watched those two episodes then. And then this weekend, I watched the first four episodes of Lodge Kerrigan's story. So I'm doing this completely against the way they wanted to do wanted to do it. But I'm still I'm basically watching the shows the stories linearly, um, as opposed to interspersed. And did you were you religious about when you were watching and you know mixing them up? No, they were presented to me on the screener site as um, like episodes one through seven and episodes eight through fourteen. So that's where you watched and them, and that's how I watched them. And that they, they were split like right. that they were split so i watched them just like that. and i believe when they when they first were announced the creators were kind of enthusiastic about the idea of how this was being released not necessarily because they wanted you know episode one and episode eight to play back to back and evoke a specific reaction um i think they were happy if people decided to wait and they just watched one all the way through and then they waited and watched the other all the way through or you know however they decided to do it but um that's kind of the thing that we're excited to talk about, um, which is just these innovative storytelling techniques that a lot of um, older shows and original shows kind of laid the groundwork for. But then in the quote unquote golden age of television, um, a lot of networks and um, streaming services and, and various you know programmers have allowed people to try things differently. Like they've allowed them to, to really stretch what television is capable of doing as a storytelling medium. Um, and the girlfriend experience is doing that pretty well. Like I, even though I watched them separately, they're very different stories from a presentation standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, Liz and I have already spent a, at least a chunk of the morning talking briefly about <laughs> about kind of the. I don't think there's a better word than porny nature of Lodge Kerrigan's effort because it's it's graphic and it is. Um, aggressively graphic. It like, is. It it hits you in the face pretty hard. Yep. I mean, you know, it could be, it could technically be more graphic. Right. I mean, it but could. then it would literally be hardcore pornography. Right. And there is there there is that line it hadn't crossed. Exactly, and it it likes kind of approaching that line in interesting ways, both from uh, like a formal standpoint and how he captures certain, right. certain scenes, and then also very much in the emotional state that is evoked when you're watching it because you feel it like you you are made to be kept in these moments with these people and like there's a very obvious kind of um directorial stance he takes where a lot of his framings are big wide shots of large empty rooms until the like the actual girlfriend experience uh starts taking place Mm -hmm. like until the sex scenes start up and then you're 
right there in the room with them, very close quarters and largely unmoving. Um, and the point of this is is that Kerrigan's direction is almost the antithesis of what Simons is doing because Simons's uh, story is much less graphic, and when there are sex scenes, they are they're almost about the denial. A lot of it is about the denial of sex and about the kind of refusal of that. So they are more um, passionate and sensual, and they're captured that way. They're mm-hmm. shot that way. That's not to say they're not graphic at all. There, there's certain things that are, but they're much more. There's more movement, and they're more artfully presented because they're trying to they're trying to tell you something different than what. Uh, Kerrigan's is trying to do so watching them back to back like that would be a very interesting experience no it's interesting like um yeah I feel like I feel like I kind of want to go back and rewatch girlfriend experience season one now uh, after watching what I have because I feel like I will see like they they I believe they traded off directing episodes but they cross a lot of it cross pollinates and like it doesn't feel like their styles are extremely distinct but here in season two, their styles are extremely distinct. So it's going to be interesting to look back at season one and be like, oh, now I understand. That was really an assignment scene and then assignment's approach to a scene versus a Kerrigan approach to a scene. And it's a, that, that even that in and of itself would be a tricky endeavor because, as you described, they're they're going after the same goal. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of see, like, which uh, which – style of theirs you know one over or was they decided to use for it x y and z to evoke that but like each of these stories is very much about different things like the 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 kerrigan story is you know has a lot of politics involved there's a lot of cold you know boardroom discussions and uh you're meant to kind of see how these people distance themselves from reality so they can do the monstrous things they do in a political realm um because it's a i mean she's the main character Played by Anna Friel, correct? Yeah. She's she's running a um, a GOP super PAC, yeah, and that is obviously introduced her to some people who are not the best people, um, and they use that kind of framing to make the harsh reality all the harsher, and that's uh, that's that's both Kerrigan's forte, it seems like, and also um, something very specific to the story that feels like it needs to be done. Uh, I, I don't love his as much as I love Simon's, but it is an interesting discussion to have in terms of how the stories are told. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's what kind of what we're talking about today uh, is just like the idea of how stories are being told is different and powerful in some respects uh, from <clears throat> is is or what happens when people try to tell stories it aren't just telling stories but are trying to use the medium in innovative ways to find new ways to tell the stories. And I'm going to bring up uh, one of your examples. How of, dare you? I know. Because you own everything that you claim. I do. <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> bought it. So you own the show Archer. Um, Fact. And Archer is Archer is like on the surface like a pretty you know, especially in like its first couple of seasons, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's that wacky spy comedy where they swear and drink a lot. Um, Very good Bond spoof. And then. Uh, but in later seasons, it really has become something very innovative and special, in large part because Adam Reed gets bored and he wants to try something different. But it's led to like some big season-long narrative experiments that you know have taken the show in a lot of different directions, and haven't just been like kind of for sport. Like there's interesting character insight I think that comes out of a lot of these, and interesting new relationships that get built. Yeah, and it's it's specific to Archer too because you'll see certain kind of episodic stories or um, animated stories go 
serialized for a longer period, but then they'll kind of protect themselves by inserting random little episodic moments or, or episodic episodes um, throughout the seasons to kind of keep fans happy without being too risque. But Archer has so deeply invested in what they're trying to do. I mean, Dreamland specifically was something where if you didn't like the new direction they'd gone on in that season for whatever reason, you're not getting a break from it. Like, they're there. They're invested in that. They're not coming out of it. Um, the whole thing is very plot-heavy, uh, and and it, it's, it's, a, it's a big departure for the show. And then for me, one of the other things, I mean, obviously, because everything, as we know, Liz, comes back to the long, slow, often painful wait for death. Um, Archer is one of the few animated programs to kind of express... The, the idea of these are animated creations. They could technically live on forever. There's no reason to think that Archer would ever die, and because of what he goes through with his profession and all of these absurd adventures and these inexplicable situations that he survives, you're always like, okay, yeah, of course, he's an animated Bond spoof. He's never going to die. And then they actually took a long, large part of the story, I think it was season six, mm-hmm. um, to dedicate to him and Lana kind of confronting the idea that he thinks he's immortal, and then saying then saying that he's not and kind of struggling with that idea of, well, maybe we'll kill off an animated character. And mm-hmm. then they had the storyline where, obviously, spoiler alert, if you're like two seasons behind on Archer, um, he gets shot and he's in mortal peril. Like he's he's been in a coma ever since he might actually die. Adam Reed does not know how he's going to end that, it seems like. So um, I don't expect Archer to end with Archer's death, but it they're so heavily invested in creating that possibility that it's been this interesting story. You've seen a story shift because of that. Like, you've seen them kind of go after it in the way they've approached new seasons, and that's been pretty fascinating to watch. Yeah. I mean, another another instance of a show where the structure has been fundamentally altered by its story um, is uh, The Good Place, which, uh, you know... Should we go with... How, what Can I get spoilery, spoilery here, how do you think? Man, that's risky. Because right. with, the, with the good place, I'd say you're probably okay to talk about season one. And, All right, I'll um, talk about I'll talk about through the end of season one. Because yeah, I think a lot of people are going to end up binging this. Like I think a lot of people watched it on Netflix when it showed up on Netflix. Yeah, so. I feel that's what I that's my my feeling as well. So, yeah. so it's a spoiler for the end of the good place season one. I'll keep it vague. We basically learned Michael's not been telling the truth about what happened when it, about where they are and what what's going on with them, um, and. When, you, when that reveal happens at the end of season one, you come to realize we've never really seen Michael on his own. We've only ever seen Michael through the eyes of uh, the, 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 you know, Kristen Bell's character or Chidi or whoever else. Um, and season two, because, of, because they have this big reveal at the end of season one, season two takes that as an opportunity to let us see Michael on his own, let us let Ted Danson kind of have his own storylines. And that really does change the structure of the show to a big degree, to the part where uh, there's a recent, there's one episode in season two recently uh, where no, no spoilers for content, but Kristen Bell only appears in one scene and she's ostensibly the star of the show. But instead, like Michael and Janet really get to carry that narrative. And What's interesting to me about that is, you know, when you when you have the opportunity to kind of let your characters, let, let the show evolve to embrace other characters, uh, you know, you have, it really opens up so many amazing new story opportunities. And I feel like that's why some of the best shows 
best shows start off about one character and then become and then really hit their stride though when they stop being about one character and become ensemble dramas uh ensemble pieces rather yeah and that's an interesting point especially considering how the good place began because this is a michael Schur comedy and michael Schur's obviously worked on the office and parks and recreation which are big ensemble comedies that just kind of let you live with those ensembles and they're not overly worried about longer plots like parks and rec got a little bit more um uh, story driven as it, as it went along, but it was you know very content and worked very well in uh, in smaller episodic structures. Um, but then they they kind of started to expand on that. But the Good Place was very a very big departure as well from even like Brooklyn Nine Nine because it's it's half hour comedic broadcast episodes were built around twists at the end for probably the first like eight episodes of the first season, and it led up to the big twist that Liz already talked about which changed everything in season two, but it also opened things up and allowed for more of that ensemble to set in and more of that kind of um, character-driven aspect of the show to thrive as opposed to them working up to the big reveal they'd been going on. And I've, I've talked about it in the past, how kind of I was a little more uncomfortable with the beginning of The Good Place until they got to the reveal. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it felt like a much better, more open, uh, more... Even even more original and exploratory show, um, and I've really enjoyed where they're going in season two. But it's it is interesting to kind of think about Michael Schur working on stuff like Parks and Brooklyn Nine Nine, and then looking at at how he approaches The Good Place, which is a it's 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 a daring move, especially for broadcast TV. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something you're going to see on NBC or, or like it's not something you're going to see on a lot of the uh, uh, you know broadcast networks when it comes to how reliant it is on serialization in a half hour comedy with Ted Danson and Kristen Bell and like all these characters that you could easily just be like, no, just go have fun in, in the good place. Like we'll just, we'll have a good time. It'll be fine. Right. Yeah. You could, you could easily imagine that version of the show, but instead they have really kept it driven towards plot, which is cool. Yeah. It's getting, it's getting better. Yeah. Um, so Ben, I want to cue you off to talk about Twin Peaks for a little bit. Great. Um, but I feel like in the context of this discussion, we're talking about like, how form essentially, how shows are experimenting with the form in order to, you know, kind of push the boundaries of the storytelling they're doing. Like, what do you feel like is the most standout element of that for Twin Peaks? Well, the most standout, the most crucial thing to know about Twin Peaks when you're watching it is that it is is made, for the most part, like a, a, what was it, 550-page script? uh, Yeah, like they just had binders. Like, originally it was only... 400 pages and apparently there was some revisions to accommodate the 18 hour 18 episode (laughs) block but um those crazy pants people it's stunning to me to watch that show and think about it like that because one as a tv viewer i'm trained to see things and break them down in their installments so as one episode airs i'm looking for an arc from point a to point b and I'm looking for things that exist only in this episode and what this episode speaks to and not it just being one hour of an 18-hour, for lack of a better word, movie. Um, but that's a lot of how they approach it. They didn't seem that insistent on on timing in when it, when it comes to traditional television. And it made Twin Peaks one of those things <clears throat> that, to me, I'm... I'm I'm excited to see how it plays out 
now that it is all out there, now that it's in existence and people can watch it whenever they want, as much as they want, as long as they want. I think it's dangerous to watch Twin Peaks for a long period of time. I think watching, if you tried to binge that, even in like nine-hour blocks, like splitting it in half or into thirds, I think that's too much because I think you're going to lose a lot of the beautiful, rich character and visual details of the show. Like there's just certain things that David Lynch, as a director, you want to hit the pause button, go back, and look at. But you're tempted to stay there because the show, as it's always been, is this, you know, surreal obviously on purpose as Lynch tries to do, uh, is and Dream World, where you're just, you love being there. Mm-hmm. Like, you love sitting in it. You just want to live in Twin Peaks for as long as you can. So the idea of binge-watching it or, you know, watching a movie of it is very appealing. It's just, it's hard for me to get my head around, and I'll continue to be for the rest of my life, it seems, the, the angry old man who screams at the cloud and tells you to not watch TV too fast. Um, but I think it is better to watch it, if not in hour blocks, perhaps as they premiered it, watch two hours at a time. Watch it as like an acceptable movie and then break and then come back. But uh, that's what was impressive to me about, and there's so much more, but in a nutshell, that was the most impressive thing about Twin Peaks to me was it question, It made you question the way you watch television. Right. And that is incredibly value valuable in, in today's day and age when so many people are just imitating things unsuccessfully like you see a lot of standalone episodes now and it's just like well they're just doing it for fun they don't really know why they need it it's not as successful as something like you're the worst um but anyway that's another tangent i will say um i keep i i it's one of those things where i know you said it's a terrible idea and no one should do it i do feel like the challenge the taking on the challenge of binging twin peaks would it, it intrigues me it's my Everest, Ben. I don't think it should be. That sounds awful. But Ben, it's my Everest. I say you know it also sounds really unpleasant. Climbing Mount Everest. That does not sound like a fun time. You, people die doing that, Ben. But did they die as they lived, Liz? As they finally got to live? Yeah, and this would be like for me. I don't think you're that invested in Twin Peaks. <laughs> I'm not, but I'm very invested in binging. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, like, I guess you probably wouldn't die. But I would argue that, and I I argued this while Twin Peaks was out, and I'd argue this for a lot of TV, but definitely the best TV. You cannot watch Twin Peaks, like, on your computer or while you've got your phone out. Like, you almost need a theatrical experience to watch Twin Peaks. And if you're going to binge it, you absolutely need to be stuck in a theater where you cannot look at your phone and you cannot talk to somebody. And maybe you can get an intermission, but that's it. Like, you cannot be distracted because... Part of it is the immersive experience, and part of it is uh, part of it is just appreciating what's gone into this. Maybe I need stakes. Like maybe like I could do this like as a charity event. <laughs> like for every episode, every episode, like a telethon. Like every episode I watch, uh, and and then and that way you could apply rules to it. Like I couldn't have my phone out during while the episode was airing. Like that sort of thing. This might be an idea worth considering. Yeah, paying. You make donations to restrict. Liz's uh, distractions during Twin Peaks. Yeah, mm, I don't know if that would work, but no, just it's like in general, just like you know, for every episode, I get like ten bucks or something. Like, I don't think anybody's just going to pay you to no, watch. No, I'm Twin saying Peaks. for charity. I'm not saying even for charity. I don't know if people are going to pay you 
to watch a TV show. You're supposed to do that for your job. Yeah, but I already watched it for my job, so I'd be watching it again. This is more work. Mm, it's not work when it's I had to review Peaks. episode eight. Yeah. The one easily, the well, shit, it's probably the second best episode of TV of the year. So you got to review episode eight. Mm. You were lucky enough to be able to watch that and then discuss it in the cultural moment. That is, ah, it's thrilling. Oh, God, it's only a couple of weeks before we have to start having the best of the year fights. Oh, there's no fights this year, Liz. There's obvious ben. obvious winners and obvious losers. Then you're going to have to actually listen to other people's opinions again. I'm not very good at that. I know. I this is why we have the fights. I don't think we'll have fights. I think we're going to have fights. No. I think we're going to have fights. I disagree. No, I think we're going to have fights. Probably not, though. No, we're probably going to have fights. I, I, I don't like fights. I know. That's why we're going to have to have them. No, I don't think so. I'm not, no. You're not supposed to fight people, not at work. That's... I know We're that's part of the dictum. We're going to have discussions, Benjamin. No, 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 no. Well, maybe, but I don't think we'll need them. It's almost as if you refuse to understand that other people have opinions who are different that are different from yours. No, I just don't think I just don't think they'll be necessary. I think we're going to all look at each other and just kind of come to an, a moment where we're like, you know what? It's obvious, and then no, almost like like a like a benevolent force of above will just fall down into our beings. And we'll just start typing, and then we'll just have the list. Ben. Well, all 60 <laughs> lists, but it feels like we have to write. Oh, my God, I'm going to have to kill you with my shoe. If that's how you choose to do it. Well, something. Anyways, um, I, feel like there's, I feel like there's a lot of we, – we kind of touched on a lot of different elements of this discussion. Um, if there's a big one you think we missed, uh, a big, like, you know, story t- innovative storytelling moment, uh, in, in terms of the way television is used and structured, please let us know. Please feel free to tell us we're wrong about something. And there's so much that came like long ago. We oh, didn't yeah. get that far into the into the past where they kind of set these things up and turned some of the uh, what were innovative storytelling techniques into cliches. Um, but there's obviously so many of those that are worth their own separate discussion. This is just more about kind of where we are now and yeah. what people are trying to do now that we've got a, a slightly different way of of um, approaching and uh, enjoying the the medium that is television. Yeah, um, I mean it's I mean it's like one of those things where it's like, do we get how much you know Hill Street Blues? I believe is considered to be one of the first shows to ever really introduce serialized storytelling. Like how much you know that's that's hella innovative for the for the '80s. So you know it's all like that. That's it's a whole level different level to the discussion. But this was fun to talk about. Just fun to talk about fun TV shows doing fun things. Yeah. And speaking of which, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you, Liz, the best thing that I watched last week was my own beloved Hawkeyes at the University of Iowa absolutely putting a beat down on the Ohio State Buckeyes at home. Ohio State, 7-1. They're number six in the country. They came into Iowa City. (laughs) They left embarrassed. They left as shells of humans that they once were. And I am very, very proud of my alma mater for just destroying men like that. Ben literally wagged his finger when he said, mm-mm-mm. mm <laughs> Not in Iowa City, mind you. <sighs> Let's not speak of Penn State. Um, but to accommodate, I'm going to say better things because I finally got a new episode of Better Things. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like... We've had, they gave us seven to start the season, um, and we, we finally got, I think, two now. I think we've yeah. had two more. 
and it, it's still just it's an incredible show like i just i love better things so much it's it's another one where um even within the episodes themselves they tell stories differently um the 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 structuring of it the timing of it uh they'll devote a whole episode to kind of a first date and then they'll break up an episode into like five little mini arcs that kind of build to either one resounding point or just kind of made to give you a glimpse like it's it they really love experimenting with it and it's it's a joy to watch and it's something again that don't binge it guys just enjoy it but you know cranky old ben that's me liz what was the best thing you watched last week I watched other than Iowa. Um, I, I hadn't. I'd seen it before. I feel. I hopefully haven't mentioned it already. I may have, but y'all check out Alias Grace on Netflix. It is a really fascinating piece of work. There's some element there. It's it's a period drama unlike you've ever seen before. Like Mary Heron, the director of American Psycho. You know that's that's the person I want directing all period dramas. Um, most period dramas, some period dramas. Anyways, it's great. It's just really good. It's a really smart, interesting piece of television uh, with some amazing performances in it, and also Zachary Levi. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that was that was in fact me subtweeting. Sick burn. That was a subtweet on Zachary Levi. I, I just he it was one of those things where he doesn't he doesn't bother me really, but he he it, it, he may not be the strongest link of that show point is i didn't realize he was in it yeah he just plays a small role i had it at your review i don't even remember seeing his name yeah i didn't mention him great because i was talking about good things what am i paid to review the whole show no i'm just gonna review the things that i like why why did he just doesn't make much of an impression and then like in retrospect i'm I feel just like, like he'd be distracting yeah he, but he's not in enough of it to be like a real problem all right he's like he's not he's not at all the core of the show and the core of the show is amazing sarah geddon is giving an amazing performance um and yeah so that was the best thing i watched uh what was the next thing you're looking forward to oh the next thing i'm looking forward to is um spike lee's first tv joint she's gonna have it and I've gone back and checked, and as far as I can tell, I don't think Spike Lee's ever worked in television outside of, like, documentaries and random little specials that he's done. Um, and I am curious as to why he felt like now was a good time to revisit his original film. Um, I mean, a lot of what Spike Lee talks about, both in with, with race and sexuality and America, I mean, all of it, it it's fairly timeless. Um, so the idea that he'd have a story that he'd want to re-explore, you know, decades later. Um, I liked that idea way more than I like some of the other more recent ideas that Spike Lee has had, like perhaps remaking Old Boy, which was a catastrophic failure. So I'm ben very is real mad about Old Boy. I am fairly. I'm. I'm. I'm I, it's fine. I just don't understand. And I. I like. I. You know me. I prefer to see people trying new things and pushing themselves and technically that was a new thing and he pretty much went after it I, I don't really know why but point being there's a lot to talk about with this show and with his original movie so I'm excited to dig into it um, I have not watched them yet but they are sitting waiting for me to review so I'm going to do that this week nice how about you, Liz? What are you looking forward to other than the next Iowa game where they're going to take on undefeated Wisconsin in Wisconsin? And, well, I mean, good luck to them. It's going to be tough. Yeah, I feel like you were very excited about that, but I would be very nervous personally. I am very nervous. Okay. It's going to be something else. 
Um, well, there's a couple of different shows on the horizon. I've seen the first three episodes of Lady Dynamite, for example, and I think that show's great. But uh, I want to see a little more before I write my, my, write my review. Um, and but I'm I, I feel like the it's worth shouting out this upcoming uh, True TV documentary special, The Trouble with a Poo, um, which is a documentary about a in which a, 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 a South Asian comedian goes after what is one of arguably one of the most racist portrayals of uh, of South Asian character on television, one that persists to this day, one that has been embraced and really defined, you know, South Asian culture in the eyes of a lot of people. Um, so we're, of course, talking about a poo from The Simpsons. But it's it looks like a really interesting examination of how race and comedy and all of these factors work together. Uh, it's uh, something I know we've all been really interested in. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of getting new insight on the issue because I think that there's I think the, the way in which it looks like he's approaching it sounds really fun. Yeah, it's definitely one that's um, there are a lot of talking points to be had. So it's encouraging that he took the, the feature approach to the doc and is really digging in. Yeah, so that's a that's a TV show. That's not a TV show. That's a movie, but it's a movie is airing on True TV. So right. And you should in True it's TV. called True TV. It's yeah. True television. Well, you know what their slogan is? No. It's funny because it's true. Get out! Is it really? It is. I don't. All right. Because they used to. They they rebranded recently. And they oh had, yeah. You know, no, they, I don't remember that. Yeah, uh, but that is that is that is their slogan. But I mean, in general, like we are all big fans of True TV programming here at IndieWire. Like they've consistently they consistently do really interesting, innovative stuff. They've got At Home with Amy Sedaris. Plugged it last week. What? Yeah. Um, and then uh, Talk Show the Game Show is coming back in January, and that'll be a lot of fun. So I'm sorry with uh, with. Andrea Andrea Savage. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually it, it's a, it's a rare misfire on uh, True TV these days. So I, I enjoy their I enjoy their work. Um, and you'll be able to read all about it and more on IndieWire.com. Where you where where, yeah, where you will find news, <laughs> reviews, interviews, features. Shut up! It's Monday morning. Uh, I don't. I mean, there's podcasts, guys. Check those out too. I don't have a good <laughs> transition because I was thrown by by Liz's. Um, I mean, wonderful rendition. Very entertaining. I Vo- Vocal stutter. Vocal stutter. Vocal stutter. Well, that makes it sound mean that I laughed. I just thought well, it was, like, vocal, it was your vocal. reaction to the vocal stutter where you just like, yeah, and you just got back. I mean, anyway. I leapt on it. Listen to, uh, listen to the podcast. They're great. <laughs> They're on IndieWire. You'll find them. You know them. Don't pretend. Yeah. We certainly say them. We, we, we've said them so many times at this point. Yeah. If you... If you know us, then you know them. If you know them, you may not know us. You, but they may not. Re- they may not plug us. <laughs> but we plug them because that's the kind of people we are. Team. Yes, a passive aggressive snarky team. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Correct. We will be back next week. And I'm going to take this a quick opportunity to – Ben doesn't know I'm going to do this, and oh, he's probably going to not like it. I quit. No, you're not quitting over this. Um, you can't tell me that I can quit. True. Um, but basically, we're, I, I've been thinking about the fact that we, maybe we should get an actual proper theme song. Ugh. Ben doesn't want us to have an actual proper theme song just because he feels like he's going to be very, very picky about it. I don't think we just got into a a, a, a mini fight about the fights that we're going to have <laughs> over lists that we literally have to do for our job. I think there's no way we're going to agree on a theme song. Yes. But if you have any theme song I don't ideas, want fights. This is what I'm talking about. Let's yeah. not invite fights. Well, 
let's have let's just not then all agree that you're right about everything. I'm not saying I'm gonna be right. I'm just saying I'm like, all right. What? <laughs> We're gonna, one of us is going to be stuck in a position where it's like, uh, all right, I got you love it. I guess I'll just go along with it. And then we're always going to sit there with the you theme song. You don't know. Like, we could both really like a theme song. The point is is that we're trying to figure out like if there's a good solution for it or not that will keep us from killing each other and also lead to us having a proper full-on theme song as opposed to our I will, week, I, weekly rotation. I will accept submissions from Max Richter and whoever wrote the BoJack theme song. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's a nice non-limited sphere of options. Everyone else, send your emails to Liz at IndieWire.com. What about Jeff Russo? I bet we could get Jeff Russo. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd hear it. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> um, his Star Trek Discovery theme still makes me cry. I still don't care for it. See? See? Oh, God. We're, See? We're gonna, we're, yeah. This, there may, no be, may not be any good solution to this problem, but if you want to email Liz at IndieWire.com and Ben <laughs> at IndieWire.com, maybe, who knows, maybe peace can be found in our time sometime. Unlikely. Yes, that is true. <laughs> but in the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we will be back next week. And as always, please, for the love of God. Go Iowa. Keep watching television. <laughs> Thank you.